0: Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds, by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie tonight is an especially poignant one, as we are, well, I'm assuming, depending on where you're listening to this, that most people listening to this are in some state of quarantine at the moment, and there are very scary things in the news, so... Just in honor of all our situation, I've chosen a movie about the end of the world, about the end times and people relating to it. And the movie is a 1998 Canadian movie called Last Night. And it's one that I find especially interesting, although I will be flat out honest here at the top of the podcast, is this is not a movie that I personally pick for staff picks. This is one that one of my favorite guests has been beating me over the head to make sure I do this because he loves this movie so much. And I actually was not familiar with it until he mentioned to watch it. And I watched it, and I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. And he's like, no, it's the best movie ever. Watch it again. <laughs> so I was browbeaten into doing this movie, but i he's not wrong. This is a great movie. I really, The more I watch it, it's really a neat little masterpiece, and I'm very happy he asked me to do this on Staff Picks. Asked, told, whatever. Whatever. Potato, potato, however you say it. So anyway, I will bring him on here. He has been on the show twice before, and uh, they were two of my stronger episodes. If you want to go back and listen to some good Staff Picks episodes with really good discussion, listen to The Village, which I think was the second or third episode I did, and then Arlington Road, which is absolutely one of the best movies i am covered on Staff Picks. And I'm bringing him back here. He is a screenwriter. He uh, knows a lot about storytelling and script writing and all sorts of stuff about how movies are made and I When he's on the show, I tend to just let him take over because he honestly describes the plots of movies better than I do, and I'll freely admit that. So welcome back to the show, Brian Scully.
1: Thank you, Mario, and you are very kind with all of your words. I appreciate all of it, especially as you accurately say, I absolutely browbeat you into having this be an episode of Staff Picks. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. I will sum up how this worked to people, and I'm going to have to do a Brian Scully impression. Are you okay with that, Brian?
1: I please make it as horrible as possible.
0: Okay, so he said, you know, the greatest movie ever made, the greatest script ever made is called Last Night. It's this Canadian movie about the apocalypse, about the world ending. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. So I watched it and I said, you know, it's pretty good. And here's my Brian Scully impression where you said, oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like what did i say that wrong and you're, you're like no it's not pretty good it's amazing so i'll basically just turn off my microphone for the rest of the podcast and you can turn it over so why brian is this movie amazing to you
1: well we're just going to jump right into that okay uh your impression was pretty accurate i think my response was oh honey no yeah so it's you were you were right on the money um so the thing about disaster movies and the thing about apocalypse movies um, t- they all tend to be the exact same thing in the end. And something that occurred to me after like watching the billionth one of these movies that has come out in our lifetimes is that if you look at the five stages of grief, the Kubler Ross model of, you know, you've got starting with de- uh, denial and you um, uh, end with acceptance and the stages of grief tend to like be a little muddled, like you can go back and forth between a couple of them, pretty much every disaster movie is all about generally the first two, maybe three stages of grief. You are completely wrapped up in denial. You're completely wrapped up into um, bargaining. Um, and right now I'm just, for some reason, just blanking on the second one, even though I've like memorized these for years. Um is anger in there somewhere? somewhere- uh, I think we can go with anger. I think anger might be number two, actually. Yeah, um, it's it's really all about the fight. It's all about the lack of accepting something that has happened. Um, it's all about the meteors coming. Uh, the asteroids gonna f- destroy the world. Stop the asteroid. It's all about the waves are crashing and the earth is going to drown. Build the arcs so we can float. Like, what do you do to stay alive? What does humanity uh, do to survive? The thing about last night is that it is an apocalypse movie. It's a disaster movie that tells you from the very first second, the disaster is winning. You cannot stop it. And humanity has already accepted this. They know it's happening. So it is a movie about an apocalypse where everyone has accepted it. It's the fifth stage of grief that no movie like this has really ever explored. And for this tiny little Canadian movie to go in that direction when no other movie has ever really dared to at this point was for me just one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Um, because it's all about the exploration of if a disaster is going to happen, if the world's going to end, if everything is going to stop, and nothing truly matters anymore and you know exactly when it's going to happen what do you do what do you do from there how do you live the rest of your life which has a clear and defined endpoint just like everyone else's and how does that have meaning for you where do you go no movie at this point had ever explored that and just that fact alone I, it's i couldn't stop watching it when i first saw it and to this day anytime i have it on i tend to repeat it like three times just because i always find new things about it but at its core it, it it's it, that's that's what it is it's a disaster movie that gives the middle finger to every other disaster <laughs> movie and does the exact opposite um and yeah it's i i'm just in love with all of the the nuance of it, the character exploration of it, the way that it, it doesn't waste a second of time talking about what's going to happen, as in, like, what is this disaster? How did it come about? How did we learn about it? All of this, all the shit that goes on way before you've accepted a thing as a truth. It, it's, I, I just, I love how it throws away all of the pretense of a disaster movie. And just dives right into, well, now what? What do we do? How do we live our lives, knowing we have six hours left to live? And yeah, I just, I, just, I, to me, it's just one of the most interesting pieces of character writing I've ever seen. Now, the thing about you is that you were like, oh, this is pretty good. Clearly, I have a much more passionate reaction, and that's why you're going to keep turning to me. But I'm going to turn it on to you. What is it? When you saw the movie for the first time, and we're, we're going to get to like what it's truly about, but what is it about the movie when you saw it for the first time that resonated with you? What made you react in any kind of positive or interested way?
0: Okay, yeah, that's a good question. And first off, that was an amazing intro. You've already sold this movie to most people, so well done.
1: Thank you. That's a skill.
0: <laughs> the thing that stood out the most to me, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll summarize the plot in a little bit, but just a personal response to this movie, is that when I watched it, the thing that struck me is that you said there's no panic. And that's the thing. For a movie that's about the end of the world, because that really literally is, for people have never seen this before, the movie, the 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 world is ending at midnight tonight, and this is really everyone's last six hours before it ends. And it struck me that it wasn't scary. It wasn't especially tragic. It wasn't like an action movie. Like it, it was kind of pitched to me as almost a horror movie, but it's not a horror movie at all. It's like you said, it's, it's, there was a sense of eerie calmness about the thing, like about, uh, about the whole thing. There was a lot of normalcy and that's almost mm-hmm. creepier in a way because it's not how you would expect people to react. Now that's probably how people would react, but that's not what we're used to seeing in stories. So it was a very odd tone for me.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and something that, Just knowing we all know people in our lives or if you don't if you're lucky enough to not know people in your life yet who has who have gone through this you will at some point anyone who has had um, a diagnosis of cancer anyone who's had a diagnosis of maybe a terminal illness something where you are told pretty unequivocally you're going to die from this and maybe you don't have a precise time frame maybe it's a bit of like we can fight it a little bit we can do this and do that and maybe extend your lifespan by a few years but this will be what kills you and it's coming sooner rather than later um to to watch people to know people who get that information and go through the stages of dealing with that grappling with the psychology of facing your mortality that clearly reaching the point where it's it's just now a matter of life it's simply a fact and so it's almost weird for them to watch people still as time goes on try to dodge the topic try to carefully uh sidestep like Maybe some verbal traps of like, oh, I don't want to say that because that might hurt their feelings or that might make them, make them upset. I don't know if they're able to handle talking about this now. When on the other side, the person who's actually dealing with it tends to be, uh, I'm fine. Do you want me to make a joke about it? Because I have to like find my humor in this here. Like, let's talk about it. No, I'm good. This is what's happening. Why are you trying to ignore it? Don't lie to me. Like, it's a very different mindset when you are on the other side of that as opposed to sort of. Hearing the news, seeing the situation and thinking there must be something wrong that can be fixed. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's really like watching a movie deal with that, deal with everyone having that tone, mm-hmm. everyone being in that mindset of, I'm about to die from cancer. We're all about to die from cancer. Oh, we're all dying. Oh, so we can just sort of like be honest here. Like where, where's the pretense? It's gone. The idea that. Everything that you say to someone has this weird combination and it's almost like a um, it's almost like a hypocritical combination of blase normalcy and monumental weight. Everything has that at once. Because you are talking to someone about your Christmas dinner that you're fake having just to have the family together one final time and giving presents away from the attic just to sort of like make it a, a fun sort of family get together, knowing that this is literally the last moment that you're spending with these people that you bored and through and raised and nurtured and built lives with. And you are seeing your best friend that you've known since grade school and you're having this chummy little back and forth where you're insulting each other. But every word that you're saying is about to become the last word you say to them. <laughs> and everyone has already come to grips with that. And it, it's truly, this movie is filled every single scene with conversations I've never seen before huh. with interactions. I have never ever seen depicted and it's because it all comes from that place of this situation in all experience that we've ever had would not merit this kind of relaxation and yet it has that and yet that relaxation brings with it all the more weight that it wouldn't have otherwise if it was taken as trauma as fighting a disaster as what can we do to stop this we have to figure something out like all of it's just calm it's that eerie calmness that you said that nothing has ever explored before. and and because of that, th- these are all just new ideas, these are new interactions, new characters, everything. It's just so unique. I love it so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, I was just thinking it it begs the old philosophical question, do you want to know when you're gonna die or you do, do you not want to know when you're gonna die? And this movie's interesting because everyone mm. knows when they're gonna die, but it's all at the exact same moment. And it just struck me again, I watched it this morning just to prepare for this podcast, and it's like the movie starts kind of frantic as it goes along, because it's the last day of everyone's life, and everyone knows it, and it's been in the movie, we'll explain this later, everyone knows this is coming, it's not a surprise, it's been building up to this, but as the movie goes along, it actually gets more peaceful, and that's, like, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's a very eerie tone, it's a haunting movie in a way. That's the best way I can describe this movie. It's not scary. It's not really depressing. It's very life affirming, but in a very haunting way. And I totally agree with you. I have Mm -hmm. never seen this tone in a movie before.
1: Yeah. Haunting is also a great word for it. I would, I would also use the word elegiac. This is a very elegiac movie. It is just one straight 90 minute elegy to humanity and to the psychology of a human being. Um, when put in this position, it's like, yeah, it's, I think we're just like dancing around it. <laughs> just to clarify, the movie is this. Um, it starts at 6 p.m., the movie ends at midnight. We are seeing the last six hours of Earth, whatever is about to happen to Earth, and we get some kind of unspoken idea of it because as the night gets, um, Closer and closer to midnight, the sun or whatever is in the sky keeps brightening. So it's clearly something's like heating up or what? I don't know. Everyone's still wearing coats. No one's like sweating or anything. It's not like glowing red from fire or whatever. Who knows? And the thing is, it doesn't matter. It does not matter what's about to end the Earth. All that matters is that it's happening. Accept it. Just like the people on the planet have. And so we're watching the last six hours of earth and of humanity from the perspective of multiple characters. So it's very much one of those ensemble hyperlinked pieces where we see slices of life from various uh, families, groups, individuals, and some of them interact, some of them don't, but we, we get the sense of how everyone in their own way deals with the acceptance of their demise, of the Earth's demise. And that's that's it. That That is the movie. It is not very much a plot movie at all. It's a character movie. But it's all based on 6 p.m. to midnight. What do you do when you know your life is ticking by the second to its end?
0: Okay, so... I, I just want to say one thing, because gonna, we're, we're going to get into the plot here, because we're going to get really philosophical, and I want to make this a super long podcast. This is only a 90-minute movie. It's very short, very <laughs> brisk. It's really only, there's like four characters just preparing their last day, and I, I just want to say one thing, that why I was maybe a little underwhelmed by it the first time, and then you kind of talked me into it, and I really liked it the second time I saw it. I think the first time I watched it, it felt a little insubstantial to me, mm. like a movie about the end of the world should be bigger. And so I like I was Mm. waiting for this big reveal, a big thing at the end. Why is the earth ending? But you never get that. And so I think the first time I was like, I was kind of expecting something a little bigger. And when I find myself a lot of movies like that, where I try to outsmart the movie. And when it doesn't go where I think it's going to go, I get a little disappointed in it. Right. So I go back and watch the second time. And now I just appreciate what the director's doing and how he's trying to tell the story. I think that's why maybe this is a multiple viewing type movie, because it's not what you expect the first time for sure.
1: Absolutely. It's, um again, disaster movies have trained us to expect a certain level of bombastic energy, and this movie's the antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. Everything that you would expect from a movie like this at every stage of it is reversed, and it's all about subverting the idea of how do we fight? What do we do? Where do we stop this? How can we help ourselves? You You literally can't. How do you face... The flood coming at you, the biblical flood that will drown you, knowing there's no mountain high enough that you can run to. There is no shield to block it. You are going to drown. You're going to die. You have to make peace with that at some point, even if it's like a split second before your death or way before when you see it coming, knowing, well, shit, here we go. And yeah, it can feel insubstantial and almost inconsequential when watching it the first time, because you're watching a guy who runs a power plant who decides that he's going to spend his last hours on earth calling every single uh, person who has um, an account with that power company. Literally just to leave a message saying, thank you. I'm calling from the gas company. I just hope that you're with your loved ones and spending these final hours in comfort. Please please, be assured that we will do everything we can to keep the gas running until the very end. Mm. Really? That's what you're spending your time doing. But the thing is, everyone expects more, but that's not really what people do. That's what movies tell us needs to happen. That's not actually what people do. And to actually watch someone who decides because he believes in, reassurance he's that he's the kind of leader who believes in comfort and calm and order and uh, maintaining balance whatever you want to describe it as that's what fulfills him that's what lets him leave the earth knowing i've i've done what i could whereas you have the opposite side where you have a roving group of teenagers decide you know what fuck it i'm just going to shoot shit up with a shotgun mm-hmm. cuz why not i can do it Who's stopping me?
0: How odd is it to watch this movie, which is about society breaking down in the end of the world in the middle of a pandemic, when the world is shut down in real life, like there's not a word in the English language that can describe that feeling. Like I was thinking, is it eerie? Is it poignant? Is it haunting? Like, what is the feeling watching this movie now? You watched it today too, right? What is your what is the feeling and the emotion you had as we're going through this in the real world right now and like society is, you know, very changed at the moment and it probably will be for quite a while. How does that affect you when you watch this movie? How does that make you feel?
1: Honestly, to me it sells the movie as honest way more than I even accepted it to be mm-hmm. when I've loved it this the whole point of my life like to to actually watch and and are we allowed to say the exact date that we're recording this just for like full clarity
0: feel free i now yeah for my listeners i don't normally do that i don't like dating podcasts but yeah feel free name the date
1: it's march 27th we are in mario and i are both in california and we are both neck deep into a statewide uh shelter in place More or less. And as far as Los Angeles is concerned, we have been told by our mayor, Los Angeles is going to be pretty much shelter in place until at least May. And so um, the rest of the country in bits and pieces, they're all going through various stages of how are we controlling this and whatnot. The world clearly is approaching the same thing we are. Um, it's, It's a very interesting thing to watch how quickly there is an acceptance of what is happening. Mm -hmm. There are people who are conspiratorial. There are people who feel that they are invincible. You will always have those people um, who think they can go out and do whatever they want because it won't happen to them. Sort of like soldiers storming Normandy beach. Uh, Sure. There's a lot of bullets raining down on us like hellfire, but it's not going to be me that gets shot. Just like, it's not going to be me that gets sick. But for the most part, it's really interesting to watch how, quickly and how almost uniformly the acceptance of the reality has been that this is happening what are we doing this is what we're doing well shit i guess we're at home now i guess we're quarantined i guess we're doing this the fact that that happens as quickly as it did Makes me watch last night going, wow, how quickly did they learn that this was happening? Was this like a week ago that they learned the world's ending? Like, what is this? It's not that soon um, based on certain things we do learn um, in the movie. But like, to come to grips with a global problem like that, I yeah, the movie, I, I believe it even more now based on what's happening right now.
0: I 100% agree with you because, like, I saw this movie a year ago for the first time. And I'm like, okay, it's a global apocalypse movie. People are going through the the supermarket. All the shelves are cleared out. Like, we've seen this in movies before. Now we've lived it. It's completely different watching this movie when you can go to the grocery store right now and see all the pasta and rice cleared out in the toilet paper. Like, this movie, it's so much more uh personal now it's very interesting that we've lived through this time and so i'm really glad that you recommended to this this to me because now it is the perfect movie for staff picks especially right now <laughs> this
1: is this is what I'm especially good at and anyone i've ever dated or um been in relationships with can also tell you and my best friends can tell you I am good at one thing, and that is playing the long game. I planted a seed in you a year ago, and here's where it sprouts.
0: You planted a scully seed. Absolutely. (laughs) I thought you were saying you were good at taking everyone's toilet paper.
1: I mean, I'm not a savage. I know how to wipe my ass. I don't need nine rolls per day. I don't know what's wrong with these people. It's just madness. I bought a 12-pack over a month and a half ago. I still have six rolls left. I'm going to be just fine, and I regularly use the bathroom and clean myself very, very well. So hoarders are psychotic, and they've ruined everything for everyone. But we're getting distracted. Um, For you. Considering like the the newness of our situation here, what is like you agree with me, but like watching it today, like what what other feelings did you have um, beyond just like oh this is eerie? Also, this is pretty accurate. Holy shit! What else did what else struck you when seeing it again? Well,
0: it's interesting because I when we watched this the first time, my wife kept commenting, "People should be more panicked." She didn't think it was realistic because nobody panics in this movie; they're all very calm. But it's really interesting because now we've kind of seen this, and of course there are people panicking, but if you go you know, through the pandemic and the quarantine long enough, people kind of accept it. And I've noticed that, especially right. in, out here, I live in the Inland Empire, people are very nice at the grocery store, they're talking, they're helping seniors with their groceries. People are looking out for the old people in the neighborhood, like it's, it's a very... Uh, calming acceptance. I have noticed personally where I live, which fits this movie. So like this movie did kind of predict how people behave at least once you get past the panic, because there's nothing you can do after so you, you can't panic for so long. Eventually you just accept your situation. So that's what really stood out to me watching it today. Like this feels real to me now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it feels real to me now too. And there have been other things that have been faced by the world like 1918 had our spanish flu for this new for about two years or so uh and some change um there have been um threats like world war one and world war two clearly became a global concern and people are worried people still like band together figure out their way through. but overall things that the world faces and perseveres through we never lived those. Mm-hmm. This is our time to live through something that very quickly just hits everyone and to watch it be faced the way it has. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel connected to a movie I've loved my whole life more than I ever thought I could. So thank you, coronavirus, <laughs> I guess, in a, in its own screwed up way. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the
0: coronavirus.
1: Yeah. It's uh you know it's the gift that keeps on giving, um yeah and, and it's interesting that your wife would have that reaction too like uh, you you come from more of a psychology background I'm assuming than her so did like did it ring true to you or weird to you that she would say oh there should be more panic in here?
0: Let me correct that quickly. She has way more of a psychology background than I do. She was hardcore into psychology. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So she, and and her response to this movie she thought that everyone would be panicking more that was echoed by i believe roger ebert or there was one big name critic at the time i was reading the reviews and they said the same thing they don't buy that people wouldn't be panicked so it's like she wasn't the only one that thought that but i will just defend her that she knows way more about psychology than i do so i at the time i thought she was probably correct
1: gotcha okay what does she think now? Like, how, did you, Have you brought this back up to her now, knowing that you were doing this podcast today, talking about the movie again? Like, Did you revisit it with her or just the idea of it?
0: Yeah, we were talking about it all day today, and I watched it myself. She didn't watch it with me. She's only seen it the one time, but she remembered things about it. She's like, I remember the gas company calling. I remember uh, the, the, the boyfriend trying to fulfill all his fantasy. She, she remembered real, the details of it very well. And she's like, I liked it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I didn't think it was outstanding, but I really liked it. It was a different, calm, eerie movie. But she was kind of surprised I was doing it on staff picks because, you know, I, I wasn't like gung-ho over it. But, yeah, she, mm-hmm. I, I want to I watch it with her again. I want to see her, her, her second opinion of it, to be honest.
1: Try to do it before quarantine ends, just so <laughs> the mood still is maintained. <laughs> um, so she can actually, like, reflect and look out the window and go, oh, that is life right now. Okay. <laughs> um, So yeah, but uh, yeah, I I could just we could keep rambling. I I don't want to do a podcast longer than the movie. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to stop myself whenever I can and let you uh, guide via your uh, uh, list of things to check off that we always need to talk
0: about. For if people, people, I'm sure you've figured this out. Scully's the only host. I'll kind of just let go, and he just keeps going and going and wait. I think he's waiting for me to jump in, but I won't jump in on him because he's like he's weaves a word tapestry that I like listening to. So I just kind of listen. I like your cadence, so I will. I will do my best to jump in and, and keep you from taking over the show.
1: Yes, but I still need you as the host
0: to lead us a little bit. Yeah, I will do my best. I will. Yes, I'll be our Dr. Fauci here and I will be the sane voice of reason. Oh, thank God.
1: Oh, my God. You just made me Trump. I hate you so much. now.
0: (laughs) Well, you're the one that did a whole segment on how you wipe your ass and your technique. So (laughs) I blame you.
1: You know what? I deserve that. You're absolutely right. I kind of walked right into that.
0: All right, let's let's give people a little summary. We've I know we've talked a lot already, and we're kind of dancing around, but and this is a very short movie. I didn't want this to be a super short podcast, so there's a little more leeway. Now, to sum this up for people, I didn't realize this movie was so old when I first saw it. I thought it was like a couple of years old. This movie's what, 22 years old now? Mm, yep. Okay, and the back history of it is, uh, as we were nearing the millennium, 1998-99, People wanted to document what life was like, and I think there was a whole series of filmmakers Some French Film Society was trying to do a cluster of movies, what it would be like facing the new millennium, what people's fears were, what their wishes were, desires were. And this director, his name was Don McKellar, he, Mm -hmm. he said, well, that sounds interesting, but he was worried that his movie would become dated. Did you hear that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he was worried after the millennium, it would become dated and no one would care about a movie like people looking forward to the millennium. So he's like, I'll just make it about the end of the world. Instead, I'll make a quick little character piece of people knowing the world is about to end and how they respond to it. And he, like Brian said, it's the acceptance phase where they're well along in their stages of grief and they're just about to die. And no one's panicky. They're just crossing off bucket list items at the last moment to figure out how they want to go out. But the one thing I wanted to point out to people is this was a very real fear at the time. A lot of people were very concerned about the millennium and the Y2K bug, especially, and that the world was going to encounter some really hard times. And so this movie is a neat little time capsule of that fear. I I find that very interesting, actually.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the... I still remember all of my friends in high school like making the game of Y2K and like oh my god should we as soon as the countdowns done should we run outside and see if all the power goes out <laughs> like we it's we were kind of treating it like a joke the way gen z will now shitpost and meme everything to death even it's even if it's about to like kill them um like the joke is like we'll shitpost until our last breath about this um so we were sort of doing the same thing for uh, y2k but genuinely the fear was oh my god two little digits in a year can change the world and make everything stop because computers were programmed badly a f- few decades ago like it's a ridiculous idea. Now, but it was a genuine global not quite panic but concern mm. um, that Y2K, the stroke of midnight uh, to make January 1st, 2000 was going to fuck everything up uh, from power companies to airlines to government uh, systems, everything, banks, you name it.
0: Yeah, and and what's been lost to history is that nowadays people look back at that and joke like, "Oh, nothing happened. Everyone freaked out." But it's really very similar to a pandemic because a lot of people worked very hard to prevent it from being a problem. It didn't become a problem, and it's one of those mm-hmm. if you behave properly, everyone will say it was overblown. But I mm-hmm. I know personally, my first job in California, 1998. 99, I was hired to move down to Torrance. And my first job was programming for a hospital. It's called Healthcare Partners, a whole medical group. I, 100% me, was in charge of fixing the Y2K bug in all of their software. And it took a year. And this is every hospital, every bank system, every airline system, anybody who had reservations had programmers doing this and working very hard. So like, it sounds silly now, but it was a very big fear. Probably the closest I can come to that I can think of to the pandemic now because no one knew what the future was going to hold. It was very scary.
1: Right. Um, To to talk about the whole idea of the overreaction, absolutely correct. The whole idea of overreaction is because you prevented it from being a genuine reaction. You stopped it Mm -hmm. from being a problem. And so, of course, if you work as tirelessly as you can to stop the problem, once the problem stopped, people who weren't really all that privy to the information besides just the banner headline, as it were, looks at you and goes, what the hell is the big deal? What was the foul about (laughs) Yeah, it was all about stopping this so that you could have a comfortable life and go on you know, your day without being the wiser. Yeah, there was a ton of effort put in to keep that little bug of a two-year digit uh, needing to be a four-year digit to not screw things up. Like, It's amazing how much that made the world not just like, rise as one to keep that from being a problem but also the panic that it induced and the reactions of, well, I guess this is the end times. Let me build my shelter here and stockpile my weaponry and my supplies. Like, what? Oh,
0: God. Yeah, and that's the underlying story of this movie. You can't really watch that without factoring that into the story. This was made in a time period when people were very much frightened that the world could end. And like, that, like I said, that, that was not a irrational fear. People were very word, worried what that was going to do to all of our systems, all of our infrastructure. So when I watched this movie, that's one thing that really made me appreciate it more when I realized when it was made. I didn't realize it was made right before Y2K. Now I watch it. Now I see it through the, that lens, and I like that's why I think I appreciate it more now. That's great. And kind of
1: like when we talked about Arlington Road, the idea that it was a little bit ahead of its time and that it's talking about ideas, themes, um, reactions of people as a mob culture, as um, sort of a socio sociopolitical um, culture, the movies talking about things that we – only years and even decades later started to really show us no that's that that is who we are this movie does do that as well it shows what people really do in the face of oh god this is it this this really is it mm-hmm. what how, how do you how do you face doom how, how do you face death um and and in this case clearly they can't stop it in our case we stopped it yay the nuclear bombs didn't you know, explode all around us because the year was wrong. Great, but yeah, nineteen. I I, I forgot until you just mentioned it that that's one of the things Don McCallum said about making this movie that he was part of that movement of how do we explore this approach to the new millennium. Well, that's going to be boring for me, um, and because like I'm I'm not sure how familiar you are with the rest of his filmography, but as a writer and a director. Um, Last night is one of the, like like, as a director, I forget what else he might've done. It might've been like another short or something, but as a writer, he's been kind of prolific. He also wrote another Canadian movie called the red violin, which I absolutely love. Uh, He wrote the adaptation to blindness, uh, the um, Jose uh, Saramanga movie uh, about literally a plague of blindness hitting the world. Um, And only Julianne Moore, (laughs) uh, our doctor's wife can still see and how that, wide sweeping global pandemic of blindness, also called the white sickness changes the entire face of the planet. Um, so uh, McKellar's actually kind of played with this idea more than once. I forgot about blindness being all about that until just now. Cool. Um, so he like, he's all about character pieces though, bigger character pieces, sort of ensemble multi-location, sometimes multi-generational storytelling and all about the idea of a theme. He's very big on theme. Um, Which is why to watch Last Night now, after he's done so much more with his career, is just really fascinating. Um, This is sort of like a genesis for him in a lot of ways in terms of what's explored, how he uh, plays with theme, and the way the characters sort of explore that kind of territory. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, Don McKellar is the kind of writer and director that, does not typically get much notice in a place like America because things aren't big. He doesn't do bombast. He doesn't do uh whiz bang, shoot them up. Where's the big explosion? Where's the like loud drama? Nothing he's ever done has been any of that.
0: Okay. To underscore what you just said, and just to, pic- to paint a picture for most of my listeners who have probably not seen this movie. This was not a big hit by any stretch of the imagination. A little—I don't even know what the budget of this movie was. It couldn't have been that much. Do you even know?
1: Oh, it was—it was tiny. I think it was only a, a couple of million Canadian. Um, totally a shoestring budget.
0: And a couple of million Canadian—that's like thirty bucks American, right?
1: About that, maybe a slice of cheese and a Ritz cracker. Yeah,
0: but yeah. So this one, like a film festival, and I forget which one. Uh, you probably know, but uh, but it would like it got a good word of mouth, but it didn't like it wasn't like a huge blockbuster. It's not one that most people will know. Like you said, you wanted to watch it or do it for staff picks. I had a couple of my listeners say, "Oh, I love Last Night." And I'm like, I've never even heard of that movie. I'm so yeah.
1: No, oh, Cece, I can interrupt you, but you won't interrupt me. This is how I see it is. Um, that is a thing that you just said that i still to this day get both shocked by and am not surprised by at all the people who just randomly go oh my god i love that movie oh my god that's one of my favorites oh i want to watch that again that was so good i would have i would never predict how many people actually are just like sort of in the shadows waiting to hear the words last night and just go
0: That's it. Let's talk about that.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay. I did not know this audience existed.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say, because you yourself said, you announced on Twitter, you were doing last night on staff and you specifically tagged a bunch of your friends and said, this is going to make you finally appreciate this movie. Like, so you were, you were chomping at the bit waiting to show it off to all your friends that do not quite have the zeal for it that you do yet
1: oh uh, yeah uh, i i'm looking forward to it and once this is um put up to be listened to and i know one person in particular that i'm going to make sure i'm just going to like poke her and go hey hey charlotte charlotte it's up go listen to it go listen <laughs> to it and now go watch the movie um, if she ends up uh doing that i will consider this a successful mission
0: <laughs> it's okay well we're gonna go into the plot here we're really pussyfooting around here but this is true <laughs> But I like I, yeah, I, I, It's astounding how many Canadian movies I have done on staff picks already. It's just because these Canadian movies don't always get the you know the widespread acclaim. But like I've done like four Canadian horror movies already. I've done this. I've done a couple <laughs> other. Like it's just astounding. So anyway, that seems to be my my mission statement here on staff picks is find as many Canadian movies as I can.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, the thing is like Canada is very aware of all these movies. It, like these movies play well. Over there, um, it's just like them finding audiences beyond their borders is is much trickier. It tends to be um, almost happenstance what ends up resonating outside of Canada. I, I don't know why, but it's like Canada is very much an entity unto itself. Their their films, their television. All work for them and, and that's not even canada you also have montreal productions there are french canadian productions that are completely different from like toronto and vancouver um productions in terms of style and tone and all of that it's it's a really wide range that they produce over there and they all know it they all watch it they all like it, it, it's a culture we just it, it very rarely leaks out i don't know why that is but that is that's that's just is always the case
0: and in my defense, I did watch You Can't Do That on Television with Alanis Morissette. So I do I do know of that part of the culture.
1: Wow, you could practically move there right now.
0: <laughs> and I, there is no greater fan in the world of Degrassi Junior High, the original Degrassi. So, <laughs> uh, again, I'm from Seattle, so I'm aware of some Canadian culture. Somehow this one escaped me.
1: You're so close to Vancouver, you practically have a passport. I do understand.
0: Okay, we will finally... Thank you, my patience for my listeners, that we finally go into the movie. So, as Brian said, this is the end of the world, and it's kind of implied... Um, we don't know why the world is ending, but throughout the movie, we get closer and closer to midnight. It never gets dark. So there's something with a solar flare or the planets or something, and everything's all mucked up. And the implication is it's been going on for a while. People have had long since gone through most of the stages of grief. They're way to the point of acceptance now. In fact, I think it's hinted at some point in the movie that the young people rioted at first and they were all violent, but that mostly went away. Now everyone's pretty passive, if I recall.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's the initial reactions are, of course, going to be more explosive. But aside from a few stragglers who still want to be like, oh, let's shoot this and blow this up and knock this down. For the most part, it's settled down. They've found better things to do with their time.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The end of the world is coming tonight. And this is the last day on Earth. And the movie's set in Toronto. So it's all Canadian. And I was literally just in Toronto last summer. So I recognize a lot of the filming locations. Like, Oh, I've been there.
1: Oh, very nice very nice yeah
0: but it's this little it's really just three or four characters i don't know how many stories are going on cuz they kind of intersect it's kind of pulp fictionish and that the characters will go into each other's stories but it's uh who are the main characters here? So we have sandra o oh. now was she a known actress at this point in 98 i forget
1: Oh, in Canada, yes. Um, she she had quite a nice career for herself before she ever became known here in America. So of course, like Canadian actors always joke that when you work in Canada for Canadian productions and that's your career, like you are not in it to buy your mansion and bankroll, uh, this and that and. save millions of dollars like it's just it's not a lucrative field um it, it's really something that you can survive on um you can maybe save up a little bit of a nest egg but really you're in it for the work and so that's the culture Sandra O oh, um was in uh, as an actor for the longest time until she I would say yeah Grey's Anatomy really is is when mm-hmm. America first even realized she existed for the most part
0: Okay, and I know the director now. The director Don M- McKellar he stars in this as well. We'll get to him in a second. He's also the star of the movie, but he specifically wrote the part of a character for Sandra O, oh, and he got her to, to he got her to be cast in it. And I love the fact that her character's name is Sandra. Hmm. <laughs>
1: hmm. Uh, I'm sure he did not think that she would forget her own character's name. <laughs> She's quite a skilled actress.
0: She's the Tony Danza of Canada. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my God. And you just broke my brain. Okay. <laughs> you may continue now. I need a minute to recover from that. Yeah,
0: I'll just interject with random Tony Danza trivia throughout the podcast to break you up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. I'm glad you finally found your way in to stop me. Thank you. Yeah, I finally figured out the uh, antidote to the Brian Scully takeover. So well, explain to people what Sandra's story is. What is her mission tonight on her last day on Earth?
1: So for Sandra, um, she is married to our um, gas company president, owner, CEO, whatever his actual title is. Uh, But his name is Duncan. Uh, They are now married. We eventually learned that they got married after they found out the world was going to end. Um, In fact, she's now pregnant with his child, um, and it's something she actually had as a goal. She wanted to just see if she could do it, Mm -hmm. if she could have if her, if her body could have that ability. Um, knowing that the child is going to die inside of her when she dies as the world goes through its thing. Um, which some people can look at and go, Oh, but for her, it was just it was what she needed to do. And so she's trying to get home. She's getting some wine from the store, one or two th- or two things to make a dinner, to sit down with her husband, and have one last normal end to a day, and then they're each going to put a gun in their hands, aim it at each other's heads, and at the stroke of midnight, before the world actually ends, their plan is to kill each other, because she does not believe in letting the world take her. She wants to leave the world on her terms, not nature's, not fate's.
0: Okay, so that's Sandra O's story. She's the woman who is trying to plan one last perfect meal with her husband. Her husband works at the gas company, and he's doing one last day at work, and that that's her story. Now we're going to go to story number two, which is the director, Don McKellar. He plays a young man named Patrick, who's an architect, and take it away, Brian. What's Patrick's story?
1: So Patrick's story is that he's kind of the opposite of Sandra in that Sandra is all about getting home to someone, to ending this world with someone. Patrick is all about escaping. He's all about being alone. Because the one person he wants to end this world with is gone already. And it's his wife. His wife um, fell ill with a terminal illness. um, And when she was diagnosed... After that is when the planet found out that it was going to end, um, which he considers just completely unfair. And so now that he's left with no one, he doesn't even want to go to his family's house as his mother has decided she wants to host this fake Christmas dinner uh, and invite all the children over, invite the, uh, the aunts and the uncles and just sort of like treat it as if it were a family holiday gathering. It's the holiday of death, apparently. And, he doesn't even want to go to that he does not want to show his face and pretend to him it's the world is still pretending Mm. and he wants to stop that he wants to live the way he wants to and that is if i can't be with the person i want fuck it all i'm just going to be home by myself i'm going to play (laughs) guantanana and drink some wine and that's it that's my day like he he it's it's um The impulses between Sandra and Patrick Wheeler are the complete opposite. And that's why when they, as we'll get to it, (laughs) when they find each other, um, the way they interact becomes so fascinating.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, to sum this up for people. Patrick... He just wants to be alone. And again, this whole movie is the story of people have made peace with the fact they're going to die. And how they want to go out says a lot about what they are, who they are as a person. Sandra wants to be with her husband one last perfect night, one last dinner or something romantic. And then right before midnight, they're going to shoot each other in the head. Patrick has been through tragedy. He lost his wife to cancer, some illness, we're not sure. And he has chosen he wants to be alone alone. That's his one mission in life, you know, the world sucks, the world is treated me like crap, I'm just going to go out on my own terms tonight, I want to be home, I want to play my music, drink my wine, and I'm just going to go out all by myself. And that's the struggle, which I actually find the most interesting story in the movie, is Patrick and his family, because like you said, his mom trying to plan this Christmas party, she wants all her relatives to get together, we're all going to celebrate, have one last holiday, and go out together. And Patrick doesn't really get along with his mom. He's turning his nose up at this idea, and there's a lot of tension. And we have this, right at the start of the movie, this really tense family dinner where not everybody's on the same page because Patrick doesn't want to be there. He wants to get the hell out of here as quick as he can
1: as he's he's even mouthing off about how stupid this idea is and as they're sitting there in front of a hot christmas dinner he makes his mother start to cry and she's trying to not sob in front of everyone at the head of the table and his father just looks at him and like can't you play along just once <laughs> like it, it says a lot honestly about patrick and how he just gives zero shits about pre- uh, about the pretense of formality of the illusion of maintaining a, an image of life as opposed to just living life. Um, and, and when he just wants to live life by dying his way, he's he can't even do that. Yeah. It's really interesting to watch how he just tears apart the facade that some people still feel the need to set up, even though it's not his place to, it's not his place. He wants to live his way, but he's not letting them live their way. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic that starts this movie off. Um, and it's, funny but in an awkward way it's kind of playful it's really creepy it's so many things at once and it doesn't miss the tone ever
0: well <laughs> it makes me realize if i if the world was ending and i had chosen not to spend the last day on earth with my mom she would have kicked my ass so i can, <laughs> I can totally relate to the mom here she's so horrified her son doesn't want to be with her Although Mm -hmm. I have to point out that a lot of reviews of this movie say it's got a lot of black comedy, a lot of black humor in it that just, you know, dark, it breaks up the dark tone of it. And I forgot until I watched it today that the mom's fake Christmas on the last day of Earth is she just goes up to the attic and wraps up all Patrick's old toys from when he was a kid and gives them to him just so he has something to open. So she gives him his own stuff. Yeah, it's, it's
1: everything he has abandoned and forgotten about that has been gathering dust. Literally, the junk of life is what she gives in cardboard boxes, just a full stack of to every person walking in the door. It's just so ridiculous. But to her, that's what lets her have a grip on it. That's what lets her look at the clock wind down going, I feel good. I'm okay with this. And... It, it's an, it's a, it's so interesting to watch patrick so oblivious to the fact that someone else might want to do this in a way that's not his and so it's it's yeah the difference is so interesting sorry yeah go ahead
0: yeah although it does remind me because they always say that hanukkah gifts are worse than christmas gifts so if christmas gifts on the last fake day of christmas are this shitty how bad are the last day hanukkah gifts
1: I would not know, but I have heard the reputation, and I am sorry for all those who received them. That's all I can say.
0: <laughs> so, okay, so those are the two main characters so far. We have Sandra trying to get home to her husband. Patrick doesn't want anything to do with his mom's fake Christmas, just wants to go home and die alone. And we're going to get the third character in the movie. There's really just three major characters. This is Craig. Now... Craig may be a bit of a hedonist, but he's good for comic relief in the movie. Why don't you explain to people who Craig is and what he has chosen to do with his last six hours on Earth? We all
1: imagine ourselves living to our fullest, if we have the opportunity to, or if we're faced with an end date to our existence. We're like, oh man, so many things that are on my bucket list. Well, his bucket list is... Yeah, hedonist is a great word. He wants to live the fantasies he's always had in mind. And so some of those fantasies include um, sleeping with um, uh, an older woman, sleeping with someone who was a teacher of his, sleeping with a virgin, um, having a simultaneous orgasm, which he's never had up to this point, Um, um, racial uh, appeals. Um, Physical appeals, uh, combinations of people, (laughs) scenarios, kinks, like anything he has imagined trying or doing and never has, he has made a list and he is checking off those boxes and he's now at the point where there's six hours left in the day. Uh, His last day on Earth, he's still got like six boxes to tick (laughs) off and he is really getting tired and uh, he's lining up people one per hour, uh, which um, since this is starting at six o'clock, it kind of gives the impression that he's been at this all day, um, which like uh, not to get too graphic, I've had my days where I've been um, going.
0: (laughs) I'm not going that much he's gonna chafe is what you're saying yeah he's chafing he's please tell me he's moisturizing in between
1: (laughs) but it's just yeah he's yeah he's living he's living his best life the way he's always wanted to try even if he doesn't like it in the end he wants to go out knowing he's tried and honestly who can blame someone who wants to indulge before they go
0: Yeah, I have to think a lot of people would probably behave like this in real life. This seems like it's a very natural reaction to the end of the world. Well, you screw it. I'm not going to catch anything. Let's just go down the sampler plate and hit every prostitute I can. Although there's like it's an insignificant scene. He's really the comic relief of the movie. Craig just crossing off all the people, including, I should point out, his French teacher from high school that he bangs his French teacher, which is, you know, that's real high up on the bucket list, apparently. But I have to say there's a really interesting bit of dialogue here that this movie sneaks up these little poignant lines that I kind of forget are in here. Is the first lady, this uh, the black prostitute, I would assume she's a prostitute, the first one who comes to his apartment? Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't think they're prostitutes.
1: No, I don't think he's hired a single prostitute because we see later in the movie the, the virgin the, has his personal add up, basically. So he has outright advertised um, based on what we see there that he's looking for specific things. And people are also, there are plenty of people who are in that same position of, she even says, I just wanted an orgasm today.
0: Yeah, that was what I was going to get at. She had a motivation. Like, why are people having sex? And like, he just wants to cross all these things off her list. And she is really, it's almost sad the way she says it. She's like, just sighs. She's like, I just wanted to have an orgasm today before I die. Like, that's all, that's her only life mission. Like, it's very, it's almost sad in a way.
1: And you can look at her eyes. You can look at the reaction she has as they're talking and sitting on the bed. For her, it's a—I don't even know, honestly. Like this is where I would make the joke. Oh, words are hard. Um, To—I I don't know how I would even describe her attitude, her demeanor in that entire sequence where we see her come into Craig's apartment um, as he goes through what's very obvious a routine of pouring the brandy, of setting this mood and playing the same music over and over and this and that. Um, The look that she has on her face, the posture that she has when she says, I just wanted an orgasm today. There's something that feels so sad and bleak and empty from her. When she says that this movie does that with every character, we literally get a tiny slice of life from all of these people. And yet somehow the weight of their lives is so clear. And I can see, and I mean, clearly I'm imagining a lot of details of what her life must be like, what Duncan's life must be like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as we see the movie, but I, I feel her world in that moment. And it's such a challenge to pull off. It's, it, it's rarely something you can do. And this movie's loaded with moments like that i'm so glad you pointed out that line we were we just happened to know the exact same line that you were going to say but yeah
0: yeah well what's funny is she actually has a second one now i'm realizing i'm just remembering her scene she comes in and she she shows a small bit of kindness again this is just a straight up booty call they're just there to bang each other and he even has a little patter he's like you know i'm not doing this just because you're black and she just kind of has this world weary smile and she's like yeah you are she's like you don't have to lie it's cool i don't mind And he's like, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. It's just a small bit of kindness she shows him. She knows what he's doing. And she's like, you know what? I don't mind. Fine. If I can cross off your list, I get my orgasm. You get your bucket list, whatever. It's like, it's a small little bit of connection they have in that one little insignificant scene.
1: Right. Um, And and it's a connection that in any other circumstance would, I don't even know the right way to say it. It would feel not quite weird, but it would feel... Um, something that you can brush off. It would be one of those faux pas where you're like, oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah, I know, I know. But here, it just gets said, and it just gets accepted. It's acknowledged, and it sits there because everything everyone says to each other has that gravity of these are the last words we're saying to each other. We only just met, and yet we are choosing to spend our last minutes on this planet to come together in this moment and we still feel this weird pretense to have to sort of dance around why we're both here. No, let's just say it because it is what it is. And it's all done with very normal language, very casual language. Nothing is dramatic in speeches or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even more poignant when we just hear something as blandly stated as, you know, this this isn't just because you're black. No, it is. You can say it. OK, thank you. <laughs> like, that's it. That's all it is. And it doesn't belabor it at all. It's so clean. Oh, God, I love this movie. Sorry. I'm
0: stopping. I'm stopping. <laughs> I'm just letting you go. I, I appreciate it. I, I like listening to you talk about this. OK, so now that's Craig, the guy just crossing girls off the list. He's not really significant to the plot. We're going to skip over him. For uh, the most
1: part. Uh, Mario, not just girls. He has had many fantasies.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yes. Yeah, so, OK, sorry. He's,
1: he's very pansexual,
0: <laughs> uh, which I appreciate and support. Well, he did point out there was no bestiality, so he's not that pansexual. He is not a monster.
1: He is All not right. a monster. He
0: just, just to declare. I don't want to besmirch Craig's bad name here.
1: Consulting adults only are what he has aspired to um, uh, try in his
0: life. Yes. So, yeah, Craig is not especially important to the story. Well, it's mostly going to be Sandra and Patrick. And I'm realizing right now, Brian, we're probably not going to go through this and do it beat by beat.
1: No, we shouldn't. Honestly, that would be a waste of time. We would, This would be a three-hour podcast if yeah. we did that.
0: Okay, so we're just going to, this is going to be a kind of an odd episode of Stat Picks. We're just going to give you the overarching plot, because I would like people to discover this movie and the joy of it on their own, to be honest.
1: Yes, please, please, because the moments that happen in this need to blindside you. They need to hit you. Like, one moment that I will, there are two moments, honestly, that I want, no, I lied, three moments <laughs> that I do want to call out, for just for myself. I don't know if there are any for you. Um, but now that we've set the stage, that's the movie. That's it. Characters interact. They find each other. They separate from each other. Um, things happen as the hours count down. It's a movie that has um, a structure to it, but I wouldn't even say it really has much of a plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are moments and those moments are what this movie is really all about. And we just mentioned the one moment of, I just wanted to have an orgasm today. No, it is because I'm black. You can say it. Okay. Thank you. Like these little touches, another little touch. We've talked about the French teacher. He clearly has a thing about an older French teacher. All right. Um, so as Craig and the French teacher played by Jean-Bierre bougeot um, uh, separate and, uh, Patrick and Sandra are there because there's an interaction that Patrick needs to have. Things happen. You'll see. Um, the French teacher's been Patrick's French teacher. So there's a, there's familiarity. There's recognition. There's a moment of reconnection. And as the French teacher gets on the elevator, um, the boys awkwardly try to say goodbye in French and they don't have necessarily the best accent and the best tone. And, um, she corrects them in a way and says, "Bon voyage." But the, the, as soon as she says that, she's on the elevator and the doors haven't closed yet, she's just waiting for the doors to close. And there's a she just looks down and that's it. She's having a moment to herself. And it's a soundless moment at that point, just pushing it on her very slowly to see her as she's about to is she about to go home? and end her life by herself. She's hooking up with this younger student, former student of hers. Like, does she have a husband? Does she have a family? We we don't really quite get that sense yet when we're watching this moment. But just that moment of um, goodbye, goodbye, bon voyage. And she just has a beat to herself. She's just processing the weight of something. We can infer whatever we want from that moment. But the fact that it lets us put ourselves in that moment the fact that it's not overplayed the fact that it's not some tear that she wipes away in this gesture it's just she's just absorbing absorbing is a great word as the doors then close like that's one. that's one of the moments that to me like i remember so clearly and so vividly um that's what this movie is about those little touches that you can't have us really explain
0: Okay, because you mentioned little touches. Now, I don't want to, again, we're not going to talk about the specifics of the plot, but there's some little things in this movie that I find very, and again, I keep bringing up haunting. Haunting's not the right word. I wish I knew more words. I don't know the word, but there's (laughs) there's little things that stick in your brain about this movie to just make you realize it's very special. Um, All throughout the movie... There's a countdown on the radio. And this is something that sticks with me the first time I watch it and this time as well. Is that, you know, everyone's just going about their business, and there's a radio station in the background just playing the best 500 songs of all time. It's a countdown. This is the last countdown anybody's ever going to do on earth. And the DJ Mm -hmm. flat out says, These songs were chosen by me. I am choosing the 500 (laughs) greatest songs of all time. I'll be with you to the end. It's like, but it's just a background noise. And if you listen, there's newscasts going on in the background. There's there's one scene I, was, I caught today. There's a newscast from Canada that talks about how Calgary is going to secede and like wants to be part of Scotland or something. It's like really weird. There's all this stuff like, you know, if we get through this, here's what's going to happen. The world's going to change. Everyone's doing all these crazy things. But just that little detail. I love the soundtrack of the countdown in the background. And mm-hmm. I have to say, there's a scene in this. I This won't really spoil anything because it's insignificant to the story. But it's like it's so not tragic, not beautiful. I don't even know what it is. This guy wants to be a piano player, professional piano player. And he's never,
1: Oh, Menzies. Yes. Yeah.
0: Menzies. He's never had a chance and he's only in a movie for like five minutes, but he has decided on his last day on earth, he's going to throw himself his own. He's going to hold his own concert. He rents out a concert hall. He brings out a piano. He dresses in a tux. He goes and he performs a concert. And this is something he's been wanting to do his whole life. And we pan back and there's like eight people in this giant, uh, arena came out to watch him but he doesn't care just he's finally doing this his last day on earth and it's just so you know beautiful in a way that he got to do this even though it's no one cares but he's still doing it
1: exactly yeah uh, and and uh, you can say no one cares but eight people cared
0: including the french, french teacher. teacher the french teacher oh, shows she up loves her it. students
1: um yeah <laughs> i mean well phrasing um the Another detail about moments like that that always play in my head is that for that DJ to be on the air, there's an engineer at that studio. Mm -hmm. For the newscaster to be – we later see there's a newscaster who is still giving updates about the world an hour before it ends, and we see the playback of footage. There's someone in the control room hitting the VTR and cueing it on the control board. So that switches to the VTR from the camera. There's still someone who is cutting raw footage together for that B-roll. Like there are still people who are dedicating themselves. And why? Why do you? Why there? Menzies has his friend be the usher to hand out programs. <laughs> you can see him as the French teacher walks in. He just stands there with programs in his hand, happily handing <laughs> them out to anyone who walks in the door. Like. That's how he's spending his last hour on this planet. He didn't have a lot going on. (laughs) No, apparently not. But then you think about, well, no, he does actually have a lot going on. How close does he have to be to Menzies? How tight is that friendship? How much is that bond worth to him? That that is his choice. And that's, that's where this movie takes that inconsequential nonsense that other movies would write off. Here, the weight behind those things, Mm -hmm. the weight behind the choices that are made, every decision at this point counts. It is what represents you. And so to watch something like that, to watch that piano concert happen, to watch the eight people go in there, what are the lives like of those eight people who have decided, this is how I want to go out? Where are their families? Do they have families? Where are their friends? Do they have friends? You start to insert lives Into the nameless, soundless extras, let alone the people that we actually get to know. It's so fascinating to see so many worlds built out of almost nothing. And it's all because of the weight of the environment, where every word you say has that gravity. Every choice you make has that gravity. It represents you in a way none of these people even realize it is representing them because they're in that world they're living it it's like it doesn't actually mean that to them but to us to see that that is actually them in a nutshell their entire life summarized every step of the way nothing else has ever done that before it's so so incredibly interesting to watch
0: yeah, and that's, uh, you, we mentioned it at the start of the podcast, and, and he's not an especially major character. This is Sandra's husband in the movie, Sandra O's character, and you mentioned earlier that he he spends his last day on Earth, and this is, I find, really fascinating. I, like, I, I cannot picture another movie that would have included a character like this. He is the manager at the gas company. They supply gas to all of Toronto, and his last day on Earth he has chosen to come into the the office and call every single one of their gas customers in the province and thank them for saving for for uh, being a loyal customer all these years and just assuring them that even though the world is ending at midnight we will keep the gas on all the way until the last minute. Like the thought process that that is your last act on earth. Like it's like it boggles my mind that that character is in a movie, but it just says so much about him that he's all about duty and respect Mm -hmm. and he is a hard worker he's done very well he's a good man and he's just you know the last day on earth he's going to do his job to the best of his ability and that's that's it then he's going to go home and shoot his wife and she's going to shoot him and they have a whole suicide plan (laughs) but it's still he's a good man and that's his last act on earth is just to do his job the best he can
1: Absolutely. And there's one other person there with him. There's, uh, Is she a secretary? Is she a technical assistant? We're not quite sure exactly what her job title is, but she and Duncan are the last two people who are here in this gas company office. And the way he interacts with her also shows how he believes in the best in people. He, t- he doesn't take them for granted. He appreciates them. He lets them know. Um, um, how valuable they are. Like he takes care of the people around him. Even the little touch that she, that he has no idea that the entire time that she has worked there with him and he's been her boss, she's been drinking on the job at six o'clock every goddamn night where she has a little juice box and she tops it off with vodka. Um, but he only notices the juice box. And so he brings her one last little gesture before he leaves to go to his wife. And that is to give her a cup of the juice box that she always squeezes in. He's like, I I noticed that you do do this every night. So, you know, that's, I just wanted to make sure you had that. And she's like, Oh, thank you. I, I already have one. Um, it's not quite what you think it is. He smells it. He tastes it. Oh, you bad girl. But like, he's not going to fire her. He's, he just almost appreciates the fact that she has this little side to her that he never really expected because he only sees the best in people. He sees people for, you know, what, They contribute what what they try to be. Um, He he takes them for their potential as opposed to maybe what he actually sees in front of them. When he's put in a precarious position later in the movie, that's all I'll say, he's not scared. He's not begging for anything. He outright says, I'm not afraid of you. I I know you're afraid. I recognize that, but I'm not afraid. So whatever you decide decide to do whatever you think you need to do is your choice. Like he he's like, yeah, Duncan is another very small slice of how even in this context, people can still find a very specific, a very honest way of giving themselves even when no one's going to be around to remember it.
0: So, The gist of this movie, again, I was expecting to walk through the plot. Now i am decided we're not going to. It's basically Sandra's running home to meet her husband. It's not going to work out. Patrick wants to be alone. Sandra and Patrick will be thrust together. And the whole crux of the movie is basically their relationship and their dialogue. And there's a couple lines there I'm not going to delve into just because it'll spoil the plot. But just that's the part of the movie that's really important. Again, like Brian said, it's not really a plot movie. It's a theme movie. It's a tone movie. It's an attitude movie. It's just... But the, the couple things I want to highlight before we finish up here, Brian, just because I, I I I want to make sure we don't skip over these: the countdown, the structure in this movie, with the countdown. I think it's brilliant because it adds a sense of urgency to the movie that you don't realize is there until you watch it. Where they literally count down each hour, and they have a, some of this crazy old bike messenger, this uh crazy old jogger lady announcing it. And so there's a structure, they announce the plot and you notice how close and close it's getting into the end of the world and people's actions start to change based on that countdown
1: hmm. Parties are now being thrown on freeway off ramps yeah. and um, some people are deciding we're going to walk around and literally shotgun everything we see around us. Some people are now just nestled by a fire watching home movies of like old 60s film reels that have been converted. So it's everyone is looking at that last 15, 20 minutes of time taking by. In very, very different, unique, um, poignant ways. And they're poignant precisely because they're not poignant. Mm -hmm. They're not poignant at all to us, but they're poignant to the people. And the way that sort of transforms a mundane action into a monumental action. Um, uh, Again, like to have that strength of storytelling so consistently throughout, when usually that would be like your moments, that, that is your almost emotionally cathartic moment to reach where you can show someone have an experience in this context and it means something to us. That's the whole goddamn thing.
0: <laughs> That's all 90 minutes of this and even more so as we ramp up. That's why I was saying the first time I saw it, it felt a little insubstantial to me. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what I was expecting. It feels like there should be like a half hour more in this movie, or there should be more. But the way you describe it is there aren't moments. Like, that's the thing in this movie. You expect these big scenes, these big dramatic reveals, plot twists, but there's none of that really in the movie. It's really just inevitability and people's true colors coming out. And I have to point out that I love the biggest event of this movie. And we don't really see it. It's all alluded to off screen is apparently there's hundreds of thousands of people gathering in this park in Toronto and Ontario because they all want to be together partying when the world ends, which is, I -hmm. can totally see that happening. I mean, again, to talk about our current situation with the pandemic, that people knew there was a pandemic coming, yet their Mardi Gras still went on. People are going to spring break Mm -hmm. in Florida because even if they know crap's coming, they still want to party, and that's just kind of human nature, and it's weird, but that's what happens.
1: We, we are able to create our own idea of bread and circuses. We can create our own distractions. Um, we don't need to be fed distractions. If there's a problem, we'll figure out a way to entertain ourselves. Um, because something that – even when human na- nature fights tragedy, like we try to avoid it a lot of the time. We try to mask something, hide from it, um, blunt it a little bit. Even when we're fully hit by something catastrophic, we'll still find a way to even mentally check ourselves out of it. Even just a little bit. It's a self-preservation mechanism. And in this case, and in, like a hundred thousand people getting together have have a fucking rave in the middle of Toronto <laughs> to say goodbye to the world and themselves, like That I can see myself doing as an introvert. It's weird to say that, but I can see myself doing that because why the hell not? Fuck it! I'll get very drunk. I'll have multiple bottles of wine. I am going to be blissful over the idea of not having a hangover and not having to remember (laughs) anything I did after the wine kicked in. Like to me, it's just going to be emotional hedonism as opposed to (laughs) physical hedonism. Like to just be able to say, "That's
0: it. I'm done. Let it go. Peace out." I appreciate it. Yeah. And th- just to drive that point home one more time for people who have not seen this, there is no ending to this movie. Like you're expecting big fireworks. The world's going to end. It's big explosions. That doesn't happen. It just, the sun gets bright and it fades to black. And that's again, that's why I said I was a little underwhelmed by the ending the first time I realized its greatness, or at least its genius. The second time I realized how underplayed it is and how unique it is. But Brian, I do want to ask you one question since you started this podcast asking me questions. I have a big one for you. Is this a sad movie? No. To well, oh, okay. So you asked that, knowing I would end up correcting myself. Um, I knew you'd say no. I just want to hear, hear your thinking because I know I don't think it's sad either personally.
1: The thing is, to me, it's not sad. But that's because it's me. I feel like this movie is informed by who you are. And I feel like when you watch this movie and nothing really resonates for you, maybe it just seems like a big giant bore. You look at it and go, God, is something ever gonna fucking happen here? Like where are the aliens? What's going on? It's it's to me, that makes it a sad movie. It's sad when you can't recognize the heart of it and and to me the heart of it as haunting as elegiac as unique as it is um for me I recognize the heart of it and that makes it joyful because it's joyful because it's honest when it's honest nothing is ever truly sad even even the worst things that you can say to someone even the most painful experiences that can happen can still have a resolution can still have a rise from that valley emotionally when there's honesty when you can confront when you can acknowledge when you can accept and this movie all about that. It's all about the acceptance and that's so difficult in the face of something so massively problematic to be able to recognize who you are what you want and how you want it to go. As you end your own life, either by your hand or by the universe's, that's, like, I way back on some gaming message board years ago, uh, I wrote, like, a top ten review of, like, each decade, and this was, of course, one of my top ten of uh, the 90s, and something that I talked about in it um Every review I had, I ended it was like, well, so why, why this movie? Why is this movie something that I'm pointing out? And to me, it's that it approaches the idea of now what? Mm -hmm. And the idea of our mortality is something that is always so pervasive in our lives. And we're always conscious of our survival. How do we continue? How do we um, persist? And the thing is, we want to be remembered as well. We, we, we want what we do, who we are somehow, in some way, to not be forgotten. And this whole movie is about, too bad. You're going to be forgotten. Everything will be forgotten. So you're not going to leave a mark on your life. You're not going to leave a mark on anything. These last hours are the, it. That's humanity ending. So the question you then ask yourself is, can I let myself just exist? Can I accept myself along with the world? And in that way, what we see from these people becomes, in its own uh, apocalyptic sense, joyful. Because we're watching humanity find a way to just be. And that doesn't ever get explored. And so because it's able to hit that, to me, I see joy. It's not sad to me. As sad as certain circumstances might be. But if you don't see that, if you don't see that heart, if you don't let that movie speak to you in the way it's trying to and, you try to, and you want it to be something else, like you want it to be louder, you want it to be this, it's not going to hit that note for you. It's not going to resonate, and then maybe it will just be sad. So to me, it's all about where you are actually in your life more than anything else, and if you are at a point in your life wherever it is where you can allow something to just be maybe not yourself, but just even something. Can you allow anything to exist on its own terms? And this movie is all about that. It's all about accepting existence (laughs) um,
0: internally and externally. (laughs) Yeah, I want to add something. I don't personally think this movie is depressing at all. I find it beautiful in a way. Kind of, you just summed it up very well. But I want to add one thing that's very personal to this. And mm-hmm. I don't normally get this personal in staff picks, but I have dealt with anxiety for years. I am a very well known anxiety case, it's affected my life. And one of the things that I do, I've conquered anxiety, especially health anxiety, medical anxiety, and I counsel other people in anxiety these days. And it's really interesting to me watching this movie coming from my perspective of my background with anxiety and getting through it and counseling people now is that the key to anxiety, and this is something that is very helpful to people who, if you may have never heard this before, anxiety is mostly about control is that people tend to be control freaks. They think they can control everything and then something happens. They their job goes crazy, their health goes crazy, their body starts doing weird symptoms, there's a global pandemic, things like that where you're not used mm-hmm. to not having that control in your life and it really can can set off anxiety and it really gets people to spiral into a mental, you know, downspout where they just go down and down and down. But the key from my experience of going through anxiety is Learn to relinquish that control. My body's going to do weird symptoms. My job's going to do weird things. There's going to be a pandemic. I can't control that. And the key that I've learned with anxiety is that you make small goals, small baby steps. I can do this. Today, I will do this. Today, I'll do this. You make these little goals. You give yourself a little control back over the situation. And that is how people get over anxiety. And from my experience, this is me personally and other people I have counseled over the years, they reach a state of bliss almost when they can do that because nothing bothers them. And I mm-hmm. see that when I watch this movie that all these people have reached that state of bliss that they just don't give a shit anymore. And it's mm-hmm. really, I mean, it's really poignant when someone with my background watching this movie, because again, this is all these people Sandra O, oh, I'm going to go home, I'm going to. Have wine with my husband. We're gonna shoot ourselves. She's made a plan, small goals, and it helps. It <laughs> helps go over the totality of this world ending and me not being significant. In five minutes, I'll be gone. But she's made little steps, mm-hmm. and Con- or, uh, what's his face? Uh, the Craig has done that. I'm gonna go off my bucket list. You know, world's gonna end. Fuck it. I'm just gonna sleep with everything just because I want to. Patrick has made so there's a state of bliss that they've reached in this movie, these characters that you don't normally see in movie characters, but I have seen in real life. And it's a very beautiful thing when I see people reach that step. So that's what I just wanted to say. It kind of dovetails with what you said, but also with my personal history, there's a lot of truth in this movie and a lot of beauty and they're hidden under the depression.
1: Mm. And first of all, thank you for counseling others. With your experience, because um, I don't have the experience. I mean, I have my own mental health issues. I am prescribed Adderall because I have severe um, ADHD and I have depression. So I have my own side of finding ways to survive um, and thrive. Um, So I don't know the anxiety side. You saying all of that um, makes me approach... A very pivotal scene, and I know we're. This is now longer than the movie, <laughs> but whatever, fuck it. Um, you you saying all that makes me wonder just the scene towards the end, and this is a little revealing, but like the conversation is so important that me telling you any details is not going to um, affect how wonderful the scene is. Um, Sandra O oh is not getting home. Like every step of her journey has been thwarted, so she has her plan of action. She knows what she wants to do to end everything on her terms and it all goes wrong and that's her entire side of this and so she's crying she's sobbing she's list she's listening to duncan's voicemail on patrick's answering machine in hysterics because that's her husband that's who she's trying to get home to and she's not making it and everything she's worked for and towards is gone and so how does she find her way out of that What is her coping mechanism? Because she's clearly having a lot of anxiety. (laughs) Um, What we see from her, her steps are asking Patrick with 15 minutes to go, tell me something to make me love you.
0: Yes, that's my favorite line in the movie. I'm glad
1: you said that. Yeah, it's my favorite line, too. Um, And I love it when she repeats it later as a bookend. um, um, Tell me more. I want to love you. It won't be hard. And that pulverizes me every time I hear it. And it's not just her in sort of being informed uh, in a way by what you're saying, by how you deal, how you grapple, how you can sort of find your way through the anxiety, find your way through um, what might be even partially crippling you in, in any given moment. Um like it, it, it all plays out there, but it also um, it, it touches on something again that, as I've said multiple times, I n- I've never heard before. I've never heard someone say the words, tell me something to make me love you. What's your story?
0: The last act on Earth is I just want love. Give me something that makes love happen. And That's such an interesting line, the way she says it.
1: It is. It's it's. And again, like Sandra O. Oh, in this movie is so phenomenal she's such an amazing actress to Mm -hmm. begin with but in this movie like she won the genie which is basically the canadian oscars um for this movie Uh, i I, if there was a god in existence she would have gotten Sandra o a nomination for an oscar for this as well but sadly we don't live in a god-filled world um that's my controversy for the night (laughs) cancel brian scully Seriously, I'm I'm done. I'm, I, I look forward to all of your listeners' <laughs> corrections on that. I watch Sandra Owen oh that scene, and it she, in a matter of two and a half minutes, and Don McKeller as well, because I cannot dismiss what he does. Where he's finally put in a position where he has to acknowledge the emptiness that he feels, and why he's made the choice he's made. It's it's so brilliant. It's so quiet. It's so quiet. And it says more than I've seen in almost anything else. And I never expected that. And that's what this movie is filled with.
0: (laughs) I just watched this movie this afternoon. You're making me want to go watch it again. You're killing me. I'm so good at doing that to you. I know you're very proud of yourself. Well done. But This is an entirely different type of episode than I've ever done on Staff Picks. But I find it fascinating just because the tone of this movie is different. The quietness, the simplicity... And the fact that we're watching it and talking about it in the middle of a global pandemic where it very much parallels parts of this movie, like there's scenes in the movie where Sandra Oh is walking through the supermarket and all the shelves are cleared out. There's no food. Like I watched this movie a year ago. That's like, okay, yeah, I've seen that now I watch it. I'm like, ah, I'll always remember 2020 as the empty shelves in the supermarket year. So it's like this movie totally has a whole (laughs) new depth of relevance. And so I'm really, really excited and happy that you, beat me up until i did this movie so thank you brian
1: uh, once my fists were iced and i could recover and get feeling back in my knuckles i am happy to say that i'm glad i beat you into doing this as well it's uh um it was very taxing on me physically to pulverize <laughs> you uh into accepting this movie but now that you have i'm glad that we have No, nah, for real like the circumstance just adds another layer to it but it, it's such a movie of nonconformity. it's such a movie of non-compliance and so to do a traditional episode to talk about an untraditional movie just would not so the fact that we're able to sort of um diverge from your normally uh beaten path and find a slightly different way to just shoot the shit about a movie that doesn't adhere to a structure that anyone's really familiar with. I, I think it's just very appropriate, the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, just as the cherry on top of the Sunday that's already melted, to quote The Amazing Race.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we're going to sign off here, just because we're just going to keep going over the same subject matter. I don't think we really have all that much to say.
1: I mean, I could say a lot about details.
0: Yeah, I know you could. I'm not going to let you. I only have so much editing time that I, I can't edit four-hour podcasts. But... Is there anything else you want to say specifically about this movie to recommend why people should seek it out? Do you think we've done justice to it?
1: I think we've done justice to it. And I think that, um, as long as you go into it, keeping in mind that this is a disaster movie that you don't fight. It's a disaster movie where the disaster wins and everyone knows it and everyone's accepted it. Um, as long as you walk into this movie, Knowing you're not going to get what every other disaster movie gives you, then you're in the right frame of mind for it. And I beg everyone to open themselves up to be vulnerable to the monumentally mundane. And that's what this movie uses as its fists to hit you (laughs) with uppercuts over and over emotionally, the monumentally mundane mundane Um, as long as you're open to that and you're willing to accept the movie on its own terms because it refuses to adhere to anyone else's terms then i think you're in for a really fascinating poignant and frankly unforgettable experience it's going to linger in you even if you don't just walk away from it going oh that was brilliant and you're oh oh that was interesting okay that was i liked a lot about that or that you know that was good you know there are scenes from that that really kind of surprised me whatever your reaction is i will be surprised if you don't linger on it even subconsciously and then you think back on it it resonates with you in whatever way it does let it let it be an experience that you have Revisit it if you would like but watch it on its terms that's the most important thing i think anyone needs to remember going into it
0: you know what you have officially changed my mind i now believe this is a great movie so once again i would like you i'd like to thank you for saying the immortal words oh honey <laughs> You win, okay? You win. is a great movie. Brian Scully is, was always correct. And so thank you for showing me the error of my ways.
1: Mario, you realize you just made every ex's life a living hell by saying that. And I'm going to make sure that they get the link to this once it's published because I'm a competitive, spiteful prick so that they know that they can't forget it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. I guess with that, it's a perfect time to end this podcast. So once again, Brian, thank you for being a spiteful prick and showing up and taking over my show. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> that was a really great discussion of a great movie. And, and and once again, thank you for stopping by. Please find another movie and beat the ever-loving shit out of me until I do it on Staff Picks. So, can I, you promise me that?
1: I, I will absolutely promise that because you do know I'm still going for that first entry into the Five Timers Club. Oh. It's, it's, it's a goal in my mind. I said that on Arlington Roads podcast. Like that's I have my goal of being the first five timer. I was the first two timer. I don't know if you've had another person on three times in a row. Uh, not in a row, but just overall.
0: Yeah, there I Matt Carter did uh Matt Carter did what do you do? Drag me to hell, Halloween and we did another one and I forget now. I feel horrible. But he he's the other third timer. So he is your competition.
1: Well, he can go fuck himself. I'm going to kick his ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> lots of uh, fighting words tonight on Staff Picks. But... <laughs> but anyway, thanks Brian for stopping by.
1: Absolutely. I'm so happy we got to talk about this. So thank you for having me and getting to explore a very uh, unconventional movie.
0: Yeah. And again, go listen to Brian talk about Arlington road and the village, two of my other episodes that people always tell me they really like. So again, you are a staff picks favorite.
1: I thank you for that. And anyone who does listen, if you get anything from anything that I ramble about, I thank you as well. I hope that Mario and I both are able to highlight the strengths that are often unsung about the movies that deserve more love, and that's what this is all about.
0: Absolutely. And once again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach Staff Picks Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Enjoy your last night on Earth. Goodbye. Guajira Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira
1: Guantanamera